Welcome to Thinking Nation series, Thinking Historically, where we connect students to scholars and their research as they explore historical topics and arguments in their classes. Today, we are thinking historically with Dr. John Fia, Professor of History at Messiah University. Dr. Fia, thank you for joining us. Great to be here, Zach. Thanks for having me. Uh, so to start, I'm going to put up the prompt that students are going to engage with, and, um, and we'll, we'll kind of start with, with that question itself. Sure. All right, so students that are engaging with this resource are going to be asked to answer this question. How did the views of Thomas Jefferson and Alexander Hamilton on human nature shape their visions for the United States government? And so I'm curious, uh, how might you approach this prompt um, through thinking historically? Yeah, sure. It's a great question because both Hamilton and Jefferson had rather different views uh, of human nature. And indeed, uh, their views of human nature explain everything about how they envisioned uh, the United States, not only the government, but, but the, the culture, uh, the way the United States would develop over time. Alexander Hamilton had a very, uh, I want to say negative, but a kind of dour view of human beings. And what I mean by that is Hamilton believed that human beings were inherently self-interested. Uh, they were always going to act based out of their own self-interest rather than the public good of the country or the public good of their neighbors. So I think this idea of of self-interested human beings is going to influence Hamilton's vision for America and government in a variety of ways. Probably the most uh, clear example of this is the feder in the Federalist Papers and in Hamilton's vision for the United States Constitution. If you give too much power to one branch of government and the people within that branch of government, they are going to act out of their own self-interest. In other words, they're going to act in ways that are going to benefit them and their particular legislative, executive, or judicial body. So you need three branches of government, or you know, perhaps more, but for Hamilton it was three, to keep those self-interested values, if you will, in check, right? So one self-interest does not become greater than the other self-interests. So if one self-interest became greater than the other self-interest, or if one branch of government became greater than another branch of government, then you would have what the founding fathers called tyranny. And that would take away the liberty uh, of the other branches of government, especially the legislative branch, which represented the people. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, on the other hand, uh, had a much more optimistic view of human nature. He believed that human beings were inherently good. Now, both Thomas Jefferson and Alexander Hamilton were influenced by this larger movement known as the Enlightenment. But Jefferson was much more optimistic. He believed that human beings could create their own kind of government. If you give them power, if you allow them to participate, uh, they have the opportunity to create something that's good, something democratic, something that's free. Hamilton was always worried about 
the people. Because if the people are selfish or self-interested, they're always going to think about their own interests instead of the greater good of the nation. So that's why we need to control the people. And this, of course, is why Hamilton had a very, uh, had a distrust of um, common common people, farmers, ordinary people, workers, and so forth. He didn't trust them. Jefferson did trust them to create a nation because they were inherently good and had an incredible amount of human potential. Um, one thing that you drew out when talking about Hamilton is that he saw a need for separation of powers based on his view of human nature, but you didn't necessarily emphasize that with Jefferson. Um, I'm, I'm curious, did, did Jefferson think that the system of government needed separation of powers? Well, Jefferson, Jefferson was, um, certainly came, came on board later with a sort of separation of powers view. I mean, once the constitution gets ratified, Jefferson was not in the constitutional convention. He had no input. Originally, Jefferson believed that rather than focused in a strong central government that separated powers, um, he wanted to put power not in this kind of three branches, but he wanted to put more power in the states, more power in local communities, more power where people might have a, a greater voice than in a big central government like, uh, like Hamilton did. So uh, I think it's not necessarily that Jefferson rejected the idea of the separation of powers. He rejected the whole idea of a strong central government because that would undermine uh, democracy in local places, particularly the states. That's so, yeah, when I think of um, at least the separation of powers in the United States, I think of how it's separated at the, the federal level, right? But also how power in general is separated through federalism, right? Yeah. Um, and it's almost, there's almost like a, um, yeah. some, some seeds from both of those uh, founders. Uh, well, that's good. We normally, we normally talk power. about the separation of, um, let me, let me repeat that. That's, I mean, that's good. We normally talk about the separation of powers in terms of legislative, judicial, right, uh, um, executive, but you're exactly right. This principle of federalism which, which does allow the states to do certain things, like, for example, um, uh, certify elections, right, in, in, mm -hmm. in you know, some of our recent controversies in America. Uh, so as, as you've explored this uh, era of the founding, early republic, um, looking at the lives of Hamilton Jefferson, early government, um, do you have some some of what of a go-to primary source that you either like to teach or read, analyze, and why would that be? Usually my go-to source on this issue of human nature and government um, is not Hamilton, but the other writer of the, or one of the other two writers of the Federalist, James Madison. Uh, mm -hmm. I often assign students um, Federalist paper number 10 written by Madison. And you also see some of this in Federalist 51, I think written by Madison, although some have said Hamilton may have contributed to it. Um, you know, Federalist 51 has that great line, if men were angels, government would not be necessary, right? Yeah. Talk about human nature. Human, uh, human beings are not angels. That's yeah. why we need government. But um, I always use Madison in Federalist 10, where he talks about this idea of factions and how self-interest is embedded in the nature of human beings. Human beings are going to create factions. Uh, you know, I ask my students, what is a faction, right? Any kind of self-interested group 
that promotes their, you know, the, the NRA, the pro-life movement, the pro-choice movement, the, you know, any lobbying group is a self-interest. You have all these self-interests and we need strong government to be able to control them. So, so mm. I like, I like teaching this with, uh, um, with Madison actually more yeah. than Hamilton, uh, on these things. Yeah. I, I love teaching that one too. Uh, that, that line, uh, just, yeah. It's it's poetry in the, the early republic. It really and uh, it just it really is an argument for kind of a big a big powerful government that could control uh, right. self interest in some ways. Most people don't think of it that way. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, so I the next question I have you you kind of already answer, but I'll, I'll still be curious. Um, so we you know the students are looking at um, four documents, um, two from Hamilton and two from Jefferson in this unit. Um, you know, as you, you know, you really helped um, kind of guide this question as we were creating the unit and help us think through the historical context of that era. Um, you know, of the four documents we have, is there a different either document or perspective? And it could be Madison again, um, this, that, you know, students could explore um, in their class or on their own that, that isn't brought up in the Thinking Nation unit. Yeah, I mean, you know, for for the Hamiltonian Federalist view, you know, I like to go to I like to go to fifty Federalist fifty one and and Federalist ten. For the for the Jeffersonian view of human nature, I often like to assign one of the last letters. Some say it is the last letter that Thomas Jefferson ever wrote. Um, mm -hmm. It's June twenty fourth, eighteen twenty six. He's writing a letter to the. Um, mayor of Washington, D.C. The mayor of Washington, D.C. is inviting Hamilton, or Jefferson rather, to come to the 50th anniversary celebration of American independence. Uh, again, June 24th, he's going to, Jefferson is going to die on July 4th. So, you know, this July 4th, 1826. And I think this letter gets at Jefferson's kind of vision better than anything else. Um, just to summarize it, he says, may it be to the world what I believe it will be, the signal, he's talking about independence in America, the arousing of men to burst the chains under which monkish ignorance and superstition had persuaded them to bind themselves and to assume the blessings and security of self-government. The form which we have substituted restores the free right to the unbounded exercise of reason and freedom of opinion all eyes are open or opening to the rights of man. This is Jefferson, the man of progress, yeah. that, that human beings can shape their destinies. And the only way they can do that is through democracy. They're not flawed. As long as they apply reason, um, yeah. you know, now Andrew Jackson is, is going to, um, you know, become president shortly. And he's going to take this even a step further. But for Jefferson, I think, the people are so important because they're good and they, but they need to be educated too. There right. needs to be an educated citizenry. They're, they're not just based on their common sense, able to, able to govern, but they have the potential to be able to uh, transform the world because they can bring all of these progressive ideas into society and celebrate the individualism of, uh, uh, of their own nature. So, so, you know, you think of Jefferson in the Declaration of Independence, where he says all men are created equal. I mean, I think Jefferson knew that wasn't true at the moment, hmm. right, that he wrote this. Yeah. But he always had this view of, well, it can be if we, uh, if we give power to the people to shape their own destinies. 
that's that little I, I think last line is is super helpful for to, to us to kind of see the trajectory of of equality or you know we see um, you know Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. calls the yeah. Declaration a promissory mo vote, um, note, right? That um, yeah. it hasn't yet been uh, cashed by Black Americans, um, but it but it needs to be, and and, and things need to move. And we, so we, you kind of almost can see that trajectory in yeah. in your statement. He knew it it wasn't there, um, but it was it was written with the the hope for progress that it could be. Well, it's kind of that you bring up King. It's kind of that arc of justice or arc of history bends towards justice quote that right. King said. And right. for Jefferson, it was not necessarily, you know, justice for obviously, if you know anything about Jefferson for slaves or although he did think slavery was bad um, for him, it was this enlightenment sense of certainty. The enlightenment said all things are possible. There are no limits you know, to what human beings can do, you know, I think taken to its logical conclusion, men of the enlightenment, like Jefferson and Ben Franklin and Thomas Paine, they believe that, you know, you could even one day overcome death, you know, if you apply reason, they never quite said that, but that's the logic of their, of their, uh, of their yeah. argument here. Yeah. Right. That human beings when applying reason can, can do anything. And, um, and it's almost like that's, that was Jefferson's kind of creed. That was his kind of religion almost, right? That society is always getting better and better and we will soon overcome all injustice, all limits and so forth. I, I think mm -hmm. King, King used that in a much more kind of, I think he meant that more almost religiously, right? Theologically, right? That, that you know, God will one day, uh, you know, end all, all injustice. Right. But it's very similar, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that the line of thinking can be traced. Um, so, I, you know, before we close, I'd love to that we could get to know you, the scholar, a little bit more. So you've sure. you've written books on the American founding, on the American Enlightenment, as well as books on historical thinking, which is so it's kind of the, the intersection yeah. of the, this entire um, conversation. Um, so what drew you to this particular um, area of study? Yeah, the area of history or or this particular. Uh, I think history and as well yeah, as uh, yeah. kind of this particular era. Well, well, I uh, I'm a natural. My, growing up, I always was a good storyteller. I think sometimes sometimes history is you know best um, digested, if you will. The past is best digested through stories. Mm -hmm. uh, so I always loved doing that. And when I was young, I actually wanted to be a journalist. I wanted to to write and I wanted to, you know, cover contemporary contemporary stories. Uh, but somewhere along the way, without getting into too much detail, uh, I realized that um, my storytelling, my interest in digging into facts, investigating, going on treasure hunts into primary sources and archives. You know, I've always I've always seen that I was drawn to that kind of Indiana Jones dimension of the yeah. historical profession where you go in an archive, you discover new things, you find new things, you, you know, I think that drew me to the study of history full time. Um, in terms of the early American period, uh, I've always been fascinated as the grandchild of immigrants uh, who used to hear my Italian and Slovakian immigrant grandparents talk about you know, the, the, the promise of America or how America uh, gave them opportunities they never had. Um, that kind of always drew me to under, you know, want to understand more about this experiment that we call the United States and, 
and its birth and its origins and you know what were some of the ideals and the values that my ancestors my grandparents especially kind of you know what prompted them to come uh to this place so i think all of those things informed the way i uh, i think about the past and the questions i'm interested in asking about the past and the kind of courses that i like to teach yeah that's that's uh, a cool story and it, it's nice to hear kind of how you've you've grown in your trajectory from yeah. uh, the, the interest of journalism to really this, I think, deep, nuanced understanding of that connects your own personal story to uh, a broader story. Yeah. Uh, well, Dr. John Fia, we appreciate your time. Thank you for thinking historically with us. And uh, I'm sure the students have a lot to chew on as they engage with the unit. Keep studying history. <laughs>